Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jenny, are you wearing your PE kit for this episode? I've been wearing it for the last week. Oh, you're so committed! the lot do you know what I was actually thinking the other day do kids still wear plimsolls plimmies at school just the slip on numbers with a bit of elastic I'm pretty confident that if they do none of them call them plimmies well Um. when Eden goes to school we're bringing that right back imagine if they don't they all just wear really cool trainers and we send our kids to school in plimmies (laughs) for their first day oh no I was going to do an example of a cool trainer, but I can't even think. I don't even know what a cool trainer is. Well, like Nike's cool, right? Adidas? Adidas is cool, isn't it? New Balance are pretty trendo these days, aren't they? Uh, Anyway, we're going down a wormhole. Hello. Welcome to Two (laughs) New Mums. Um, We've got a very exciting episode. The reason I say PE kit is because we are joined by Lean in 15 himself, Joe Wicks, the body coach and baby and child nutritionist, Charlotte Sterling-Reed, who is going to, this is the most comprehensive guide to weaning. I'm not just saying that, but you got in touch with us with uh, with so many questions and they just answered them all so concisely, didn't they? So I just, I feel like wherever you're at with weaning, this is going to be very, very helpful today. Where are you? So Bear's nine and a half is he nearly 10 months now, Jenny? Because Eden's just turned nine months. So he's yeah he three or four he's weeks a, ahead. He's about a week away from 10 months, which is wild. Wow. But yeah, so he's um, his weaning has gone all right. He seems to like everything. Where we're at now is trying to bring him a few more textures and like chunky things. So he enjoys more chewy food. And I sit there panicking the entire time that he's oh, going to choke. Yeah. yeah. It's endless. I mean, I feel like now Eden's nine months. We did did obviously purees to begin with, and now it's almost like I've I've got really into it, but I've almost got so lazy. She's just basically eating what I am, and I'm sort of yeah. I I do always have the panic, of course, but I'm just like, oh, you can just have a a chicken curry. No, she's not on chicken curry yet, but you know, we are um, being a bit more experimental. And actually, I have started to enjoy it more. And I at first I was really struggling, so um, do bear with. Mm if that's where you're at. So if you like this episode, if you enjoy it, let us know, please. You can follow us uh, on Instagram, Two New Mums Podcast. We love getting your messages there. And thank you to Joe and Charlotte as well because they started and helped us with our weaning journey. Joe's obviously got his podcast, Wean and 15, each episode 15 minutes, which is so useful. And his book, of course. Yes. And uh, Wean and 15. And Charlotte's got her own book, How to Wean Your Baby. So these guys are the experts. Let's get into it. Please welcome to Two New Mums, baby and child nutritionist Charlotte Sterling-Reed and the man who made PE trendy again. It's only the body coach, Joe Wicks. Woo! Hello, everybody. 
Hello. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thank you so much for coming on, you two. I've got to say, weaning for me has been the most terrifying thing in this whole journey of, of having a child. And um, your podcast and your Instagram page it is the only thing I've followed. So I really hope you know what you're talking about, because that's <laughs> literally been my Bible in all of this. I felt exactly the same. If I hadn't met Charlotte, I don't know what I would have done. You know, I came across Charlotte at the perfect time, just as I was starting to wean Indy. And I, I sort of shared that journey online with Instagram. I had a separate Instagram account, which really, um, which really took off. And yeah, Charlotte helped me write my, my weaning book, which is incredible. I think it's helping a lot of parents out. Have you had a look at the book at all? Yeah, I've got the book as well. It's, it's completely covered at the moment in like dried porridge because my son Bear <laughs> likes to hold it and go through it when we're cooking. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the only thing I've followed. So thank you. That, that's been amazing for me. Can I just ask Joe, when did you have the moment where maybe Rosie was pregnant and you went, oh my God, we can do wean in 15. Because I mean, just as a, from a branding point, that is, that would just have been a glorious moment. I can't take credit for this. It's got to be, um, the story is a few, a few, yeah, when Rosie was pregnant sometime, you know, when she was, I don't know what, what month of the year it was, but Nikki said something like, oh, listen, it'd be so funny one day if you ever do a cookbook for kids, you could call it wean in 15. So he kind of planted the seed, but it wasn't something I actively sort of seeked out. But when I had the kids, my, um, publisher was like what do you want to do a weaning book and I thought oh you know I'll give it a go because it was I didn't know which books to look at like around that I could actually rely on so when I when I met Charlotte I was like oh can we work together on it because I I'd, I had some recipe ideas but not the, you know the knowledge around um infant nutrition and what what we need to be giving our children so I think Charlotte meeting Charlotte and having her to guide me through that process made it such an enjoyable thing I wasn't nervous I wasn't scared I was so relaxed and calm because I had Charlotte almost coached me what one-to-one through that journey and I tried to put that into the book and help other parents become confident because it is it is quite daunting that first time you do it but now like moving on to my third child with Lenny I'm I'm really excited I think it gets a bit easier each time you become a lot more relaxed and confident and yeah that was that was kind of what the aim of the book was really um what is it like Joe? because you're on your third kid and counting um is like has the journey been different between Indy and Marley do, or is it the same do you do the same thing with same result or is it just completely different each child well my kids you might see from Instagram that my kids literally eat anything they're so adventurous and I I can only put that down to Charlotte and her you know advice and her guidance and I remember her saying you know don't give up multiple um exposure to different foods keep trying don't get stuck into that rut of like banging out the same meals every day because you know they'll eat it and you know be be kind of firm and be confident in things you're offering them and so that really helped me push them on and I think the first time I was much slower in that process I was a little bit more kind of um you know taking my time but with with Marley I was like right I know what I know what to do let's get through it a bit quicker let's get through the textures you don't have to be on purees for too long and you can take them through that journey quite quick if you do it right you know with the right um textures and the right you know kind of foods and I think that's what I'm looking forward to because with Indy you know and Marley like it was first time but now with Lenny I'm just excited to sort of try new foods and different spices and herbs and I think everything I learned really was from Charlotte just giving me a advice so yeah Charlotte you've been doing this for years like oh thank when you see India Marley I've got to say like you know I'm, I'm really appreciate I'm so grateful that you helped me because you've helped my children love food and enjoy food and they we can take them to any restaurant in the world and they'll eat they'll eat you know they'll eat off the, the adults menu and I love that so thank you I love it oh no not at all it's amazing and exactly like you say there's there's so many things that you can do to just make it easier but actually being in an environment of people who love food who cook food who create food and who are constantly bringing new ingredients and new recipes into the house. I mean, it's a really winning situation. So I think that would really help. But yeah, I'm so glad that it gave you the confidence to do it all as well. Thank you. That's so nice because there, there is nothing better than watching them eat. I'm obsessed with it. I sit so close to his face and stare at him and watch him enjoy the flavours. And I think it was in your 
um, podcast, your winning 15 podcast, where you mentioned things like paprika and throwing in spices, like you just said. And I was like, what? I would never have thought that. And then when you said it, and I know that you're also actively doing it because you've got young kids yourselves that blew my mind and that's made everything way more fun because you can just throw a bit of that and yeah. throw a bit of that and it is it's is great I think as well like you know people always think that babies baby food is so different and I think that that's from years of kind of seeing these like puree recipes or the baby food that's out there tends to be you know really focused on lots of purees so people almost assume that's what it's got to be and I think they were so great to team up with Joe because it really did show a whole load of people that actually Feeding your baby doesn't have to be all about kind of thin purees and sweet food. And it, it really doesn't. There's so much more to it than that. And I really hope there's a whole generation of parents now who are finding it exciting. Because the more you find it exciting as well, the more your baby will enjoy eating and love doing that with, alongside you. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one of the things that I, I found out early on is that, you know, if you give a child, you know, some, some you boil some broccoli and you just puree it, right? That doesn't taste that great. But if you roast it or you put a bit of paprika or even some, you know, roasted cauliflower, a little bit of cinnamon, or, you know, some kind of little spice. It just, you can still puree it, but they get that roasted sort of sweet caramelized flavor of vegetables, which we love to eat as well. You know, when we go out to restaurants, we don't eat boiled broccoli and boiled cauliflower. So I think it's okay to try these things. And some things they're going to reject and you think, oh, my baby didn't like it, but then you offer it to the next day and they love it. So it's really like every day is different. And I also learned that there's some days where Indy would reject foods and not eat for a couple of days. And it would be because she was teething. She had a cold, she wasn't feeling great. She was overtired. So You've just got to really relax with the whole process. That's so important because the more pressure mm. you put on and yourself, you think, well, you should eat three times a day at this time. And if you don't, something's going wrong and I'm not doing it right. But actually, you can really relax and take it much more easy because they will eat when they're hungry and they'll take the food when they're ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. And I found that one thing you said on your podcast, which I just found really helpful, actually, and totally took the pressure off and suddenly actually started enjoying it a bit more, was you said food before one is just for fun. Is that right? So is it more, is it about them getting used to the textures and the flavors? Like, how does it begin, Charlotte? So, we... so I always, I, I actually, I don't use that phrase very much. I always say food before one is for fun, but okay. it isn't just for fun. So I think it's a bit confusing, but I think if it helps you take the pressure off, and I think if it makes you enjoy that food more, then that is going to have a knock-on effect. Because basically. Food is important. It is important, you know, when you start to introduce food, you need to st start getting it in there because textures, the more you expose children to that variety of food, the more likely they're going to be to accept it. And also in terms of like oral motor skill development, they need to learn to bite and chew and swallow. And they only learn how to do that by being given this variety. And for example, like Joe's talking about, later on a little bit in the weaning days so after your baby's been introduced to those first foods you can start to introduce those herbs and spices it actually will build familiarity with them and we know from lots of research that familiarity leads to children accepting lots of foods and lots of variety so it's basically about that it's about trying to do it in a really casual way like Joseph's relaxed fun enjoy it as much as you can but it is important I think sometimes the food before one is just for fun is used to try and kind of almost dismiss food a little bit but it is still important so that's that's why I would say but yeah anything that helps you relax about it is a good thing for sure so if you're just about to start weaning and this is the most daunting time I just suddenly realized I haven't got a clue what I'm doing or what I'm meant to be avoiding I mean I don't know how to feed myself half the time it's such a minefield but where you know if you're at sort of four or five months where do you how do you begin and, and what sort of age and what do you start with 
the the advice from the NHS is around six months is when you should start your baby weaning. Now, obviously, all children are different and they reach different milestones at completely different times. So it's important to look out for three main signs, which is that your baby can sit up and hold their head and neck steady, see food, pick it up and bring it towards their mouth. And also they have less of a tongue thrust reflex. So if you put food towards their mouth, they are able to use their tongue to actually move it backwards and swallow it rather than just pushing it all out with their tongue. So those are three main signs and they tend to happen at around six months. So we're kind of looking for your baby to show those signs and be around that age before you start. And then just as it says in, you know, Wean and 15 book, ideally start with those kind of single taste of veggies. And I think Joe, when we worked together, that was something that you'd never really come across. And it, it is still quite new research um, around those kind of offering veggies because previously it was all very sweet food. And I think that was something Joe, you picked up on and we talked about quite a lot. Yeah, I'm so um, I'm so grateful that you gave me that idea because it's such a simple method just to try that first couple of weeks. It's almost like a plan in the book that says um, the two week veg led approach. So, you know, if you give your baby apple puree, banana, um, all these kind of sweet things are going to go crazy because they love it. Then naturally the baby likes sweet stuff because the milk's really sweet, isn't it? Like the breast milk and yeah. corn milk, very sweet. So they're already ready for that stuff. So the idea is to try and do the more savory kind of bitter green vegetables. So like one day you start maybe doing some um, pureed spinach, next day some broccoli, um, some asparagus, some peas, that sort of thing. And yeah, it was just a great way of just getting their palate used to that kind of flavor so that, you know, they're not so resistant to it when they get it into a bit of a shocker. Um, and then you can obviously, as that two weeks passes, you can start combining a couple of those together, put maybe mm. some sweet potato in there to sweeten up a little bit. And, you know, I was just really um, excited about moving through the textures because I think some parents get... Um, they get stuck in one sort of texture. So it's a puro, puro, puro. And they think it's got to be for months and months on end. But I was offering, you know, my baby oats and, you know, orzo, um, you know, risotto, things like that, that they can easily swallow. And it's great, isn't it, Charlotte? You don't have to be on the really runny puree for like months on end, do you? Definitely not. And it's actually really important to try and move them through those textures. So that really thin puree is really a starter. It's just to get them tasting that food and also learning about the spoon and also learning about being sat in the high chair. But actually, you do want to move on through those textures. And it can be really tough because actually you can miss a bit of a window of opportunity if you don't move those textures on a notch because babies get very used to the purees. They're very easy to eat. They're easy to swallow. They don't take much skill. Um, but actually what you want to do is teach babies how to eat. And in doing that, you need to move those textures up fairly quickly and fairly stealthily so that they can really learn what to do with pieces of food in their mouth, how to move them around from side to side. And two things help with that. One, which is, as Joe's talking about, moving that texture on, stopping blending and starting mashing with a fork. And then as your baby gets more competent with that, you can mash less and just be chopping it. And number two, offering finger foods alongside. Finger foods can really help children to get to grips with actually eating, self-feeding, hand-eye coordination, and what to do when actually solid bits of food are in their mouth. As long as they're nice and soft at the start of weaning, finger foods are really, really key. Can I just ask about bread? Because um, I'm at the stage where I'm giving Eden, like cutting up, like I'll toast a piece of bread or something. Does it make a difference? One, if it's toasted, because I know it gets quite like sort of cloggy. Is, mm. is, that, is that a word? Um, in a mouth. And obviously the biggest fear for every parent is choking. Mm. So, um, but I know she needs to get used to it at the same time. So is it meant to be toasted or fresh bread? Oh. It depends if you're starting out on bread. So if it's your first time you're giving bread as a finger food, then we normally would say a brown bread is better because it is less claggy than white. You know, exactly like you said, like white bread can form like quite a 
big kind of ball and it goes quite squidgy, doesn't it? Whereas brown bread, less so, and lightly toasted is a better form because it's easier to baby to hold and it's easier for baby to kind of tear bits off. A pita bread's quite a is quite a tough texture. So if your baby's managing it, brilliant. But if you're, you know, for a kind of early stage finger food, I would say that lightly toasted brown bread is a great one. But again, you know, all babies are so different. Some babies take to those finger foods like that and you'll just be so surprised by how well they manage food. And other babies, it will take them a little bit more time to work that coordination out. And I think it's just, if we think about sports or crawling or walking, babies are all so different. And it's exactly the same, like the skills that they need to take food into their mouth move it from one side to another use their tongue to then create it into a ball that is they can then move to the back of the mouth and swallow it actually is a lot of skill and I think people don't actually realize that so that's why we try and move through those foods fairly stealthily but fairly gradually um and you know start off with softer things and then allow them to move on but as soon as you can see your baby is managing these things really well you can start to move it up a notch but that's what I would say does that kind of answer your bread question (laughs) yeah yeah the only thing I was going to ask I I felt like in a lot of uh, I don't know there's a lot of white bread used in in some recipes but browns I'd much prefer to use brown because we eat brown and um, I didn't know if there was a reason there's less brown in some recipes. Basically, babies don't need huge amounts of fiber. Lots of fiber in the diet is going to bulk out their, their tummy because, you know, we know that fiber is really good for us. It's good for your digestive system. But in young babies, if they have lots of fiber, it can actually fill their tummy up a little bit and mean that they don't have as much room for all of the variety of everything else they need to eat. Okay. So there's been a bit of confusion around this because basically the recommendation is that babies have some fiber and some whole grains but only some so the other parts of the diet can be white rice and white pasta so it's kind of different to what we would normally recommend with adults which is to try and go for all whole grains that's not to say they can't have them and I think there's been a bit of a confusion and lots of people say oh babies shouldn't have whole grains they can it's just it's just about that variety everything always comes back to variety so yeah that's that's where that comes from when you're introducing texture and the finger foods obviously I think the most scary part of that is is the fear of choking and I'm still terrified now Bear's nine months and he's doing all right with it but I'm still so scared anytime he starts gagging and I I read something the other day that was quite helpful it just sort of said if they are gagging there's absolutely no way they can actually choke because it's their body's natural way of making sure they don't is that true because that I found that quite reassuring so um oh it's always so difficult I hate taking away anything that's reassuring they it's very if they are gagging that is their body's natural instinct saying there's something here that we can't cope with very well and we need to get it out and when they're gagging they will normally reach forward they will normally cough and splutter and make a lot of noise and their tongue will start coming forward that is a natural instinct of their body to just get that food out And it's actually not problematic. It's really good. It means that their body is kicking into gear. It could turn into choking. It's probably quite rare because actually all of that is to get the food back out. Um, So, but when baby is choking, it means that they've got something lodged that they aren't able to get out by themselves. So they'll normally go silent. They'll normally won't move forward and won't cough and splutter. And they'll sort of be holding their breath they won't be able to make that noise because they're kind of blocked up and they will need help from you it's very rare but the gagging is really normal it's almost a good thing so trying to kind of look out for those different signs and encourage that gagging um your your baby as they develop those skills 
the gagging will get less and less because they just won't need it anymore because they'll have such efficient skills at moving that food around, chomping it. But the only way they can get better at use eating that food is via practice so I know it's really scary it's all about getting that finger food to the right texture it's all about always sitting with your baby making sure they're upright in the chair and giving them plenty of opportunities to self-feed and practice and and they'll get there <laughs> I find it so terrifying it is, it is did you scary. have any any gagging stuff incidences Joe? I can't remember with um can't remember with your two if you ever had any bad gagging incidences a tiny bit of like, you know, tongue fussing where you sort of like, I just sort of spit a bit forward if it's a bit too, you know, big or yeah. a bit funky. But I don't know, I never panicked. I never really panicked. So I just thought if I did, it's going to upset her and maybe it's going to make her anxious about food and stuff. So I tried to be relaxed about it. But yeah, I think it just comes down to the preparation of the food. And, you know, if you're really careful and you chop things up, even with like things as you get older, you don't, you know, be consistent with the chopping up the grapes and the olives and all these things because, you know, you don't want to get caught out. But I think, I think there's a pressure for parents when they see someone on Instagram, like if let's say Indy was really doing well with a spoon feed and they're like, well, how does she do that? And they're like, why isn't my kid doing it? I think it's just mm. about going on your own journey because all adults learn to eat with their hands, with a knife and fork eventually. So mm. it's kind of like taking away the pressure. And if you're not confident and you don't want to rush through it, like maybe take a bit more time before you offer those things. And when you feel more relaxed, the baby senses that they feel more relaxed. They take the foods a bit more. So I think it really, they pick up the energy, don't they, of the parent. And I think, I've always been really relaxed around things like that. So, and I, and I think that's why Indy and Marley are quite calm and sort of chilled around things like that. So yeah, just try not to put pressure on yourself and think that you have to do it just because your baby's a certain age. Like if they're slower mm. and they're, they're not taking to it as much, more practice, you know, more, 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 um, even with the hands, like you, know, like you said, holding the spoon. People say, how does Indy feed herself? Because I just kept giving her a spoon. Like the more she plays a bit, mm. she learns that motion. So just yeah. keep trying and, it, you know, they'll catch on eventually and then they'll, they'll progress much quicker. And also watching you, Joe, like you, you ate with the kid, you know, the kids a lot. And I think that has a massive impact. And often parents don't realize that, you know, babies are watching and observing all the time. So if they see you using a spoon, they're going to be going, aha, that's what you do with it. And the same is like feeding yourself finger foods. If they watch and observe you doing it, it's so much easier for them to pick up that skill themselves too. And sometimes yeah. when they won't do it, if you go nom, 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 they're like, hold yeah. on me yeah. and they'll, they'll yeah. copy that I find that encourages him to eat sometimes I totally yeah. agree with that I think you know sitting together we we've all you know not every single night we try it's just part of our routine so I, I love getting into bed early and so if you eat together like it's done you know but sitting together is important also cooking together you know since from the start I've always had India on the side like helping me stir the porridge helping me add berries to a you know a breakfast these little things I think they start to love and enjoy food and they see that it's a process that we create and I think if you want your children to be adventurous eaters, like try and bring them into the fold a little bit, you know, make a bit of mess, let them, let them whisk an egg and all these little things I've done from this. All they've known, my kids have always seen me exercise and cook and they've been involved. And I think that's led them to really enjoy food, get super excited and they always want to help out. So that's something that you do quite a lot as well with your little boy, don't you, Charlotte? Yeah, I, I do try and get them to help out. And I mean, they they love it as well. The more you involve them in food, the more, you know, quite often my two ask me to cook and I'm like, oh God, because you know, like the mess and the chaos and the carnage that it creates. But they, you know, I really think that they learn so much from that. And they're also more likely to accept foods if they have had a steer in it. So, you know, Rafi's always helping us with the shopping list or like when we go shopping, they're you know, charging about picking things up for us and putting it in the trolley and all of that, although it doesn't seem like much, it's building familiarity with food. And the more that they are familiar, they see food, they see you eat it, they see you cook it, they see you prep it, they see you chop something and pop it next to them. They're going to become more and more familiar, even if they don't eat it to begin with, they will pick up on that. So yeah, I love, I love all that cooking together. And I think making it 
you know, making sure it's not a chore, because to be honest, for me personally, cooking my own food in several times a day, I, I, I hate cooking. I'm not good at it. And I thought the thought of feeding Eden three times a day was really daunting. I just yes. thought this is such a chore. And then I thought, no, I'm going to I listen to what you guys said as well about turning the TV off and making it like a sort of occasion because the reality is you've both got to eat several times a day so you might as well make it pleasurable put some music on and since I've done that I've really enjoyed it and now I really enjoy feeding her and it's become such a pleasurable experience and she's so funny when you know and and we just take our time now because you realize as well it takes a lot longer but Mm. that's her learning and it has completely Mm. changed the way I look at it yeah definitely three meals can seem really overwhelming I think um and I think for any parent where you've got to fit in you know, the sleep, the nap, the playtime um, and, you know, get everything done that you need to do for yourself. I, I it's, It can be super overwhelming. So I think, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, and also the more you can prep, the more you can, like Joe says, bring them into the kind of food you're having. So you're cooking one meal. So one lunch and you're sharing it with your toddler, one breakfast and you're sharing it the easier everything becomes because you like you say you've got to eat so it's just about sharing those meals and taking some time out for them will do you know both of you so much good as well so I love that and did you guys do the baby led weaning or did you do a bit of both what because I a friend gave me a a book and it was from like the 90s which doesn't sound that old now but it did say that you know if you don't do baby led weaning you spoon feed them they'll have issues with eating in later life and all this horrifying scary stuff but I mean, I've Eden already won't let me feed her anyway. She just does it herself. But how how do you guys go about that? Charlotte, you, well, I, I'll let you answer first, Charlotte, and I'll tell you my experience. So what's, okay. what's your experience personally? So the main thing I would say is, oh, there's so much scaremongering out there, isn't there? Um, I remember working with Joe on this, and I remember we were saying we were going to, he was going to do combined approach, so a bit of a spoon, a bit of finger food. And I remember think someone wrote to Joe saying, oh, you can't do that if you do that. Um, you're you're you know they'll be at risk of choking it's really bad you have to pick one way or the other it's just not the case and exactly like you just said Amy your little one will do what they want anyway it's about giving them the opportunity to self-feed to have some food off of a spoon because as adults we do both so Mm. you know with kids it's about teaching them to learn and for me I've truly believe that true baby led weaning is being led by your baby letting them have the choice there is nothing wrong with the best of both approach and offering them some food off a spoon and some food food that they finger food and serve themselves because that's how we eat and it will help them master both those skills it's a best of both approach that's my take and I'm really passionate about that when it drives me mad when people say that you can't do both Joe <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it's very polarizing. I mean, when I set up the Weaning 15 account, it grew so fast. And there were so many, there's different camps, like it's the baby led weaning, the spoon fed, and there's very, people get very uptight about it and they get a bit upset if they see you doing something different to what they've done. But, you know, I grew up on jars of, um, you know, apple sauce and like my diet was terrible as a kid, but I, I love my food. So it's not like um, you have to follow one approach and you're going to get a perfect eater. It's very different for every child, even amongst yeah. your own kids. But I did the same. I would offer, you know, the first thing I think I offered her was, um, some pureed broccoli and then a little tender stem broccoli like really nice and soft and she sort of had a little munch on that and that was a great way of doing it same with avocado you don't have to just give her like mashed avocado you can give her a little finger of an avocado like it's so mushy that she can hold it and bite it and that was just an easy way of doing it and I I just felt confident with her and I loved it I loved the process we ate together and um I'm really looking forward to it again it's like messy it's chaos and it's over so quick that's the thing what you realize is the weaning stage it's not like a year it's like such a short amount of time and before you know it when you make a spaghetti bolognese or a little risotto, you're all eating together. Like you can like, literally eat the same food pretty quick, right, Charles? I mean, I'd say after about nine, nine or ten months, we were like eating, 
we're, we're eating gusto recipes just mashed up little portion for her like there's no difference like and so mm-hmm. i like that you can the quicker you can eat together the less stress it is the more you can actually enjoy food as a family um and then suddenly you're, you're just feeding another little human with the same food that you nourish your body with so I was going to say I the just, only reason you can't have the same food as us from for, just in case, because I wasn't aware of this until I found out, is, is because of the salt. Is that right, basically? I mean, obviously, yeah, so they need to get used to texture. but Yeah, so largely it's salt and sugar. And yeah, and then textures as they're yeah. getting used to those textures as well. So to begin with, you want things to be a little bit softer than we might have as adults. So broccoli, for example, you might overcook it slightly. But as they get more and more and they develop those skills of eating, then yeah. it really does become about the salt and, and really the sugar and not having those in food but it's so easy quite often to leave things out to add the sauces at the end so there's lots you can still do around that yeah I've got a friend and um I get really jealous when we go because her baby's a little bit older I guess Bear's coming up to that age now like you mentioned sort of nine ten months uh, but when we go out to eat, I find eating on the go can sometimes be quite tricky and I'll take a few things in Tupperwares and stuff for him and a bottle of milk um but then I see my friend, she'll just pull off a bit of fish off her dinner and put it in a bowl and mash it up. And I can't wait till I can just do that for Bear. He can just have a bit of my dinner, mash it up, give it to him. Would you say like nine months then I could probably start doing that now? Yep, absolutely. When it comes to allergens, you need to be... Um, you need to be careful if they haven't had that allergen before. So you need to offer it in a small amount um, early in the day and leave a couple of days gap before you offer another allergen. So fish is one of those allergens. So if you were offering it for the very first time, you'd want to offer it in a small amount. But absolutely, at nine months of age, they can be eating food like that. If you've got fish on your plate, if you've got bits of you know broccoli on your plate, if you've got potatoes on your plate, they can be having the same kinds of food as you, just making sure that it's you know, within their stage and they're able to be able to bite and chew and swallow the the kind of texture of it. But absolutely. And Joe, you know, he's always been so good at this, like really just whacking in there all the kinds of foods that you that you eat yourself as a family. Yeah, because allergens is quite a quite a big question as <laughs> obviously it's eggs, isn't it? And seeds. And there's quite I mean, which, which are the allergens? Because I know you had a little incident with was it Indy Joe that had a slight re- a bit of a reaction? Yeah, I can share my story if you want quickly, and then mm. maybe Shad can go over the full list of allergens. Yeah. Um, we'd given her peanut butter, you know, we'd given her egg, eggs, you know, dairy and stuff, and we thought, oh, she's fine. She's not allergic to nuts. So we gave her a little bit on her toast, all good. And then one day I got given some cashew butter, like at an event. I thought, oh, that looks yummy. I took it home and I put a tiny little bit on her toast. And um, literally about five minutes later, she started changing color. She had this big rash on her face. She went all up red and swollen. Her eyes were all swollen. But she wasn't like, it wasn't that proper anaphylactic shock she wasn't like swelling up to the point where I thought she was going to stop breathing but really upset and obviously Ro- Rosie was really upset I-, I stayed calm and I we called the ambulance and then about 10 minutes later she projectile vomited all over the like kitchen floor um and then the, the procedure is basically anyone I think under maybe two years old or-, or younger they they always send an ambulance so an ambulance came mm. they took um but by the after she had been sick and she sort of got out of her system she it all like the swelling went down and her face sort of started to look a bit more normal and then she by the time she got to the hospital she was perfectly fine so yeah bit 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 scary obviously but again I just didn't I didn't panic too much I thought if I panic Rose is going to get upset it's going to make this really really dramatic and you know she had that experience and then I don't know a few probably a year later we I don't know we just started like we we just offered her more cashew nuts so she's fine like she only had that one reaction because it's the first time she ever had it but but I think you had gone to the you had gone to a private a, a doctor, hadn't you? And they and not a doctor, an allergy specialist, and they had basically helped you with continuing to offer all the other nuts and stuff, which was really great. And I think that probably really helped. 
Oh yeah, that's it. I forgot about. It. So we took her to a special allergy. Like, it was a private allergy um, appointment. Mm-hmm. It was like a couple hundred quid, and you, they do like I think a, a, a prick test, and they say yeah. what, what you can and can't have. And they said, look, it's really important not to just you know, completely abstain from nuts because you want her body to be able to process it. So we'd get things like grounded um, almonds, peanuts, nuts, and different butters and stuff, and sort of add it in, sprinkle it on her porridge and stuff. So she was always exposed to our, our nuts, and eventually, somewhere along the lines, we just sort of offered her a bit more cashew cashew nuts in something, and she didn't react to it. So we weren't like put off for life, but that was obviously our personal experience because she wasn't hundred percent fully allergic to the nut. It was just a reaction to it the first time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, she eats nuts and, and obviously, yeah, like, the other kids are fine, but Charlotte, what are the main allergens that you should really be concerned about? So, I mean, there's eight that are the most common in the UK. So these are uh, cow's milk, which is actually the most, you know, what the, one of the most common allergens, egg, um, also cereals, which contain gluten, nuts, um, peanuts, sesame, soya, shellfish and fish. Those are kind of the main ones. There are some others as well, but those are the most common ones that we tend to eat in the UK. Um, but I think it's really important to stress that only under 5% of children under two have actually diagnosed allergies. So it really isn't huge numbers. And so I think we you know, need to be really, you know, try not to be worried about this. And also there's so much new research out there now that recommends actually during weaning, it may be preventative if you are introducing those allergens. Because I think again, you know, often people will say, well, my GP said I shouldn't be offering those allergens to baby because previous advice was to actually delay introduction till your baby was older. And now we say, get those allergens introduced early on during weaning. And actually it may be preventative in terms of those allergies developing. So yes, it's a real big change. And I know choking and allergies are the two biggest things that parents are a little bit nervous of. Are there things like if your baby has eczema, they might be more likely to have an allergy or if, so when I was pregnant, I developed a nut allergy just when I was pregnant. Is that maybe a sign that your baby could have an allergy? So the the signs of allergy are that your baby has long-term eczema and they have an existing um, uh, an existing allergy. So, for example, they may already have cow's milk protein allergy that's been diagnosed if they've had formula milk. So those are the two key signs. Now, if you are worried that your little one is at risk, I'd always recommend going and speaking to somebody before you start weaning because they might actually recommend introducing allergens even earlier, but you'd want to do it alongside somebody who could kind of coach you and be, be supporting you in doing that. They might take your family history into account, so the fact that you had you had had it or if other family members have allergies but it doesn't always necessarily track like that so it's a really confusing field I think with allergies because we've learned so much in science and it's completely gone against a lot of the previous advice we used to give about allergies and so I think parents are all often really confused about this but ultimately it's about trying to get them in there but doing it really safely so offering them in tiny amounts, offering them as the only new food that day and leaving a couple of days gap before you go in and try and offer another one of those allergens from that list. And when you give them, say, some peanut butter or something like that, what are you looking for if you're watching to see if there's going to be a reaction? So what you might see is, you know, Joe's kind of described a lot of the symptoms and it and it is likely it is going to vary from child to child. But you might see rash. You might see things like swollen lips. You might see a rash start to develop somewhere else on their body as well. So not just around their mouth and around their face. They might be sick. Um, they might have, you know, have a sore tummy. They might um uh, you know that that's the kind of thing. so joe well, i can't remember what was it you said that that indy did you said she because she had swollen she had quite a it was quite a bad reaction but it she it did calm down quite quickly didn't it 
Yeah, because she had it on toast. She's like rubbing it around her face and stuff. So it's like initially just around here, just like like a blotchy sort of red rash. I took it. There's a photo in the book of her. She's all swollen up, like puffy eyes mm. and stuff. But yeah, it just kind of then she just threw up. And once she got out of her system, she was laughing and giggling. She wasn't like in kind of shock or really upset about it. She kind of just got, got on with it. But um, yeah, obviously, once we saw the allergy specialist, they said, oh, you can, you, it's not like she can never have cashew nuts again. It was just a first time reaction. But I don't know. I don't know how. Um, Parents have to find out. I suppose it is good to speak to a doctor first because you don't want to give them to them in case they do have a stronger reaction the second time. But we gradually yeah. introduced cashews and she's she now eats them and stuff. So she's been fine with them. Yeah. And there's loads of fantastic allergy doctors around the UK and allergy dietitians who really specialise in this. But it is important to try and go and see. So if you do have a if your little one has a reaction exactly like Joe did, you know, he he did the right thing and called called ambulance because the reaction was quite severe and then went to see a, a doctor afterwards to try and make sure he got support with what are the next steps because it's going to be different for every different situation and I think Joe you found out that um, Indy was allergic to pistachios and cashew nuts and an allergy doctor will be able to take a look and just have a look if there's any other allergens that your little one might be allergic to so it's really important to follow that step it really is and it's really hard because actually NHS um, allergy doctors are quite few and far between but you know try and push with your GP because it's it's important to get that advice that's good and while we're on the sort of scary stuff with the just going back to choking what are the worst kind of culprits because I'm very aware grapes you need to cut your grapes I still cut the blueberries up I'm quite you know careful yeah. about that but what are the things you've got to be really the, the worst culprits to avoid so there isn't really worse culprits, but the main things that we recommend to, to kind of try and adapt are things like anything that's hard and raw. So raw apple, raw carrot, because, um, you know, once babies started to develop that bite, they can really easily chunk off and you know kind of fly to the back of the throat and be really difficult to dislodge so things like you can offer apple grate it or really thinly sliced for babies who can manage that um cooking carrots and you know cutting them into little batons so they're really easy squidge between your finger and thumb also you've mentioned them already but grapes are one of the biggest choking hazards as are nuts um blueberries as well especially if you get those big blueberries and the reason for those is because it's the kind of soft outer outer shell it's a little bit squidgy but they're that kind of round shape which really can get lodged in the throat <laughs> it's not to say you can't offer these you can always adapt them so quartering get grapes lengthways give blueberries a little squish with your finger um cooking food so they are a little bit softer um, and nuts, you can offer them as ground or nut butter, for example. But those are some of the main culprits. Also things like sausages, um, large beans, dried fruit. But again, these are all kind of, it depends on how they're being offered and depends on how they're being served. And I always say to parents, if you are ever worried, squidge it, chop it, grate it, slice it up a little bit or mash it with the back of the fork. And that is all you need to do because you're still allowing your baby to have plenty of textures if you're doing that with these foods. But you're also, um, you know, minimizing that anxiety for you. So if you're anxious about it, there is no problem with giving something a little mash, a little squash, even, you know, as they're older, because things like grapes and nuts whole aren't recommended to be given till babies are about five or till children are about five anyway. So it's better to be safe than sorry. As long as they're getting plenty of textures in their food, you can absolutely adapt the texture of these really easily. So I hope that helps. 
Yeah. Something that can sometimes make me nervous is Bear will just shove so much in his mouth at one go because I like to lay it all out in front of him so he can sort of play with it. And he will ram in as much as he possibly can fit. And I'm sat there, I don't want to put my hand in or get involved, but you just have to wait for it all to fall out. Will that eventually stop? Will he learn that he yeah, can't? Sounds do like that? how I eat. That sounds like me and Rosie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love these fish. It's, 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 it's a nice thing to see your child enjoy food yeah. look forward to it and get excited and you know that's a really positive thing so I think it's a great thing yeah I mean my kids are obsessed with food it's unbelievable but I think they've learned from us and do you like your food as well I mean they see you eating as well and they see you like your food yeah absolutely yeah his dad's like a bodybuilder so he's non-stop eating so yeah I think he's seen a lot of that oh, that's a yeah good and I and I think it's fine for them to and um, they it normally is a phase of that kind of food shoveling and sometimes it's because they they are like Joe says they're so excited they kind of they're like I want this food I want it all right now and they don't realize you know you've got to pace yourself a little bit because otherwise you won't be able to chew but it's probably like a bit of a phase again lots of role modeling so eating with them allowing them to know that there's there can be seconds and you know just kind of slow the pace of the meal down and, and they'll get there but it just it all just takes time it's all learning same as like throwing food that's a big learning thing they're going oh wow that if I let go of it here it drops on the floor or like throwing the plate wow look what happens when I do that with the plate and for you you're thinking why are you doing this but for them they're just like exploring and experimenting so it's all phases and it's all about trying to yeah take it nice and casually role model show them what you do with the food and the cutlery and, and they'll get there for sure especially if they love the food because they won't want it to go on the floor and they'll be thinking actually I wanted to eat that <laughs> yeah because the dogs have it immediately oh, and yeah. <laughs> gone yeah <laughs> Eden does a lot of screaming just hardcore screaming during feeding so I don't know I, I like to think I, I assume that means she's enjoying it but I Excitement. mean it's fun for us all um <laughs> One of the big questions we had, so where is it, what sort of ages, and I know it's different for every baby, but when do you progress from the one to the two to the three meals a day kind of thing? Like when do you sort of top it up? Again, this is so variable. Some kids will, or some babies, sorry, will move through one meal to two meals to three meals fairly slowly. Like if they're really not taking to food, and I just want to also stress, I know Joe and I are talking here about, you know, babies loving food and then really getting on with it. It's also very normal for babies to be going, what is this? I am, I'm not that sure. I'm really hesitant. I'm not taking to weaning very easily. And for it to take two, three, four weeks sometimes for them to kind of click and go, okay, I get it now. There's lots of things you can do to help that, but that can be very, very normal. So the first thing I would say is don't... Um, don't you know don't panic if that is what your little one is doing so if your little one isn't taking to it it might take a little bit longer it might take a couple of months before they really move on from one to two to three if your little one does take to weaning and you can see that they're sitting there they're eating it they're enjoying it it's going in they're really getting pleasure out of it absolutely add another one so it might be after two weeks you're on three meals or it might be after two months you're on three meals it's really about following your baby if they're not that keen on food adding another two meals in is actually going to make them go whoa okay this is this has got too much now and actually could backfire but if they're loving it and they're engaged and they're enjoying it definitely move on the only thing you want to do is just make sure that milk intake doesn't take an absolute you know huge nosedive because it's still important for them to be having milk up until one but you know it's kind of around 10 months of age you probably see that food intake starts to take over and milk intake starts to come down a little bit um mm. but not not hugely so yeah it's about following their lead letting them kind of dictate when that happens and just kind of going with what you think works best basically 
Are there certain foods that they shouldn't, you should maybe avoid, say, at the end of the day, perhaps? Oh, yeah, before sleep. I was thinking this literally this week. What should I be feeding? Is there, because someone said to me, don't give her too much protein before bed. Is that right? Or is that? Yeah, no, that no. This drives me mad. It drives me mad because, you know, it's basically there's, there's, I think there's some myths from some sleep consultants that you shouldn't give protein in the evening. And it's like milk is a source of protein and babies for their whole lives are being being given milk before they go to bed. So it just it doesn't make any sense. So absolutely not. You do not need to avoid protein in the evening. There's no food as well. I'm so sorry. But my, I've had a two my two and a half year old is a terrible sleeper. And believe me, if there was a food that fixed it, <laughs> I would have found it in that two and a half years. There isn't. It's just about trying to make sure your baby is having enough food throughout the day and having enough milk throughout the day to keep them satisfied. So if you're worried they're not getting enough, can you try and kind of maybe move the routine forward so that you're, there, there is more opportunity to have food and milk through the day? Um, but yeah, unfortunately, don't worry about avoiding anything in the evening. You might want to leave a gap, you know, an hour or so before bed so that they don't go to bed with a full tummy but yeah. other than that really it's about just working out what works for you guys as a family oh that's good but is there obviously we want to do all freshly cooked meals every single day what are your thoughts on the pouches because I do always feel guilt if there's ever if I've ever got to grab one of those you know supermarket type pouches and I know there's lots of different brands but I mean how bad are they are they rammed with sugar do we need to really be avoiding them or is it like now and again is it okay um so from my perspective they absolutely are not ran with sugar. Um, there's a lot of, again, scaremongering in the press um, about them. They are absolutely fine as a convenient one-off. I've got to grab one of those. I'm on the go. Let's give it. There's a few things, though. So, for example, they do tend to be sweet. So you will find that most of them are based on sugar. So if you're doing the kind of method that, you know, Joe and myself do and, um, you know, trying to get them used to that variety, over-relying on those can have a negative impact. And I cannot tell you the number of times when I've seen parents who have kind of really over-relied on them and they cannot get their children to eat anything else. So it's really about, they're very sweet. They can, if you over-rely on them, children can, because they're so easy. They're so easy to just suck. Mm -hmm. It takes no energy to actually eat them or consume them. So it's really easy. It's a big source of calories. It's quite sweet. What's not to love for kids? If they're given those to kind of suck on it's it's an easy win so absolutely fine as a convenient every now and then try and go for ones that are less sweet and if you can try and decant into a bowl so they actually get to see and smell the food as well um, but other than that like I say absolutely fine but just try not to make it the norm and Joe, I know you've got thoughts on this as well because we've speak, spoken about this loads of times yeah, I found them really helpful when um you know going to the farm for the day or going you know flying or um if you're out traveling about, you know, it's great to have them. We used to take someone when, when on holiday, because just, just to back up, but yeah, I, like I said, it was it was few and far between. I certainly didn't think they were like unhealthy. I think they tasted quite good, some of them actually. And yeah, yeah. I think, um, like I said, you just don't want to be someone who's having a breakfast, lunch and dinner. Mm. You know, if it's once every now and again, or it's once a day, like it's fine. I think this comes down to, it's like, it's the same as an adult. How it's hard to eat healthy food every day, isn't it? It's hard to be in control and prep things. And we rely on takeaways, delivery, Uber Eats. We get sandwiches and meal deals. It's just about trying to, you know, prep a little bit in advance, get a few things in the fridge. Like I, I would always just make a big batch of everything. So if I had a, you know, a massive bolognese or a veggie curry, you know, and, you know, my kids do eat that stuff, I would just take a little bit in a pot, you know, heat it up in a microwave. And that's, it's exactly the same as the stuff they're making on a mass scale, right? Just with obviously a bit more um, 
maybe fruit, but always, yeah, I try and get the vegetable based one, chickpea curries. There's some actually decent sort of um, options out there, but I think, yeah, it's, it's more of a on the go thing for us. You can also add some like Joe, I always remember when you were giving one to India, I remember you putting it on a bit of bread and having it yourself and being like, oh, this tastes great. You know, you there's no reason why you can't use it as a, as a soup or have something for them to dip in it. So you're adding to that and you're giving them more in the way of kind of nutrients, but also allowing them to self-feed with it as well. So I loved watching you do that, Joe. I always remember it. Yeah, that's a nice little way of doing it. I think one of the things I've been really conscious of myself recently, I've been doing a lot of research into gut health and understanding the gut microbiome. It's like, it's literally like a brain, right? All the serotonin is created in the gut. It helps us feel good. It can help us feel anxious, depressed. It's so much to do with the gut now. There's all this science around it. So I start to think like, am I really getting enough nutrients in my body? And I'm thinking like, what am I feeding my kids? Am I really giving them enough, right? Or is it the same five meals on repeat seven days a week? And that I'm trying to challenge that a little bit because one of the things I heard is just about more plants, you know, which is mm. good grains, nuts, seeds, you know, vegetables. So I'm just trying my best to kind of not rely on just broccoli. Like, can I try different things? Can I roast some Brussels sprouts and things like that? And you know, I find that the kids do, if I roast things, make them a little bit crisp, like the kale, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, um, they will eat them like crisps almost. So there's ways of mm. getting sort of foods into your child's diet as a snack, as opposed to a full on healthy veggie um, risotto or curry. Like you can actually give them little bits and bobs throughout the week. And then you know that you're, you're nurturing that gut microbiome because they're, <laughs> they're developing that from such a young age, you know? And so it's just trying to constantly think, am I offering variety or am I getting stuck in that channel yeah. of the same meals for myself and the child? And yeah, it is hard because you don't, you order the same stuff from the supermarket every week, don't you sort of end up with the same fruit and veg in your basket, but it's just trying to challenge that, you know, can I offer her chickpeas this week? Can I offer her some quinoa and some lentils? You know, can I make something slightly different? And that all those little bits of, um, you know, different nutrients really, really help your baby have a healthy gut. And it's so important for them. Yeah, that's so interesting and finding just the ways to get it in. Because I think it's like, you don't want to give them anything that you wouldn't eat. And like you said at the start of this, Joe, you, you wouldn't just eat broccoli as is so you just sort of jazz it up <laughs> definitely really helps and they, they love you know crispy things right so i, I think yeah. Brussels sprouts is a great thing you chop them up into little you know make them all shred them up a little bit and they sort of go like crispy little leaves and you know put a bit of paprika or some cajun on there like and they it's like a snack a really healthy snack mm. and things that's it and that's a way of getting that nutrients in your child without them having to sit there and eat boiled you know boiled who would eat boiled brussels sprouts they smell like fart don't they like mm. but roasted brussels sprouts are incredible they're lovely <laughs> they're so good i got that from you as well joan we've done that all through christmas raffi's absolute favorite is a roasted brussels sprout with a little bit of balsamic vinegar I'm winner there you go that's it there you go little ideas little tips like that with a bit Amazing. of bacon <laughs> that's the only way i'll eat them and if you know obviously your kids have been eating well our kids are doing okay but if you are struggling if your kids are you're struggling to feed your kids they're not you know they're just not taking the food very well what what is the next step what's the best thing to do obviously all the things you said earlier on but is yeah. there any you know do you need to be when do you need to be concerned so I think if you are concerned if you're if your little one really isn't taken to weaning and you've kind of done all the like you know try to keep it quite casual sitting with them offering plenty of variety giving them plenty of opportunity to kind of feed themselves making sure the texture is okay um then you can take do other things. So I would take a look at milk intakes, make sure if they're too high, milk is a food and it will affect their appetite for mealtime. So definitely take a look at milk intakes and see whether they are perhaps too high. 
um, have a chat with your health visitor, get your baby's weight checked so you can see if they're growing and developing as they should be doing. Um, but there's loads of other things as well. And I think it's all about taking that pressure off you and the meals. And, you know, like Joe again, you know, plays music during the meal time. So trying to create that calm environment. The more that it's angsty and you're in a, in a you know, terrible state, your baby will pick up on that. So trying to just keep it calm, keep it light, keep it fun, give them multiple opportunities to try different food, role model and eat with them, keep that milk intake down. And if you are worried, definitely have a chat with your health visitor um, or GP, get baby's weight checked. Um, those are kind of the main things that I would be saying. But honestly, like I said earlier, I cannot tell you so many babies just don't take to weaning at the very start. Um, I've got a whole fact sheet on this because it was I was getting so many parents coming to me saying my baby's just is not taking to it. He just isn't interested. And there, I promise you, there's so many little things that you can try, tiny little tweaks that might make a big difference to that. And other than that, it's about pers perseverance and just carrying on having plenty of patience. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, can I ask with water, how important is the water you're giving them? How much should they have? So between about six months and 12 months, it really is about them learning to sip. So it's about them learning the taste of water, the feel of water, how to sip water from an, from an open cup, much more than it is about them drinking lots, because most of their fluid will be coming from their milk intakes between six and 12 months of age. But what we do want to do is we do want to teach them how to, you know, use a glass and how, or not, or not a glass or a plastic cup and how to kind of sip from that glass. We, we want to try and teach them how to do it. Um, and so that's really what it's about. So I normally recommend after weaning's established a little bit, offer a small amount of water at mealtimes in an open cup and allow them to just explore that. It's going to go on the floor. It's going to go in their food. But between 12 and six months, you want to be moving towards them, really starting to get to grips with the cup. So that at 12 months of age, when their milk intake starts to reduce, you can start to replace that with, a, you know, two, three, four cups of, of water eventually. And it should be the open cup, not the sippy cup and the straw, that sort of thing. Yes, because the, the straw is fine to offer later. But what you want to teach is for them to drink like we do from an open cup. And actually, because babies suck from the boob or the bottle, they they only have this mechanism. And actually learning how to sip from an open cup takes, again, like I said, with oral motor, it takes skill development. They need to learn it. And when you first see your baby doing it, it will, you know, it will go everywhere or they'll glug a load back and they, they'll, you know, be a bit spluttering. So it's a learning and, and it's so important for them to learn to drink from an open cup and move away from the bottle you know some of those things you know for on the go like like the, the couple that you mentioned like sippy cups they're really fine for on the go and I do use them but as a day-to-day -day drink option for babies it's best for them to be from an open cup yes absolutely oh well guys look thank you so much I feel like that's a full-on comprehensive guide we've we've nailed weaning we're all leaned and weaned in 15 that was amazing thank you so much <laughs> But one, final point, one final point because I think parents do put so much pressure on themselves is like it's such a short window have fun with it like explore you know you're the chef put really fun stuff on the table and they're going to reject stuff don't take it personally I'd make like a lovely omelette for Indy and that one one morning she loves it and then the next minute she throws it in my face and she's screaming and doesn't want it wants a bowl of porridge you know so just keep keep trying have fun with it it's such a short time and um yeah, I hope that our information that Charlotte shared has helped because um, it is a really amazing time. Like it's the first time they try new food. It's a really exciting yeah. um, experience for you as a parent. So good luck. Yeah, brilliant.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.